This is the Unfocused Writer with Christopher Robin and Christy Walter, the podcast for unfocused writers by unfocused writers. In each weekly episode, we chat about the many fascinating creative aspects of being a writer, as well as the many things that also distract us. Yeah, we're unfocused. What about it? Anyway, grab your coffee. It's time for the show. Hey, my notes disappeared. Hold on. I got like some buzzing thing happening here. Okay. Okay. It's gone. All right. It's good. How do you want to start the intro? You want, uh, how about we just, okay. We should say hello. This is so stupid. <laughs> I know this is, this starting the intro is harder than starting the show. Cause when you start the show, you're just talking. I think we are introing right now. This is the intro. This, this is, is the intro. I'm thinking, wait. wait, no, you wait. No. No, you wait. No, no. Okay, let me get my coffee, and then I'm we drinking, can officially start the intro. I'm drinking cold coffee because it was sitting in my French press for an hour. But. Oh, that's kind of gross. <laughs> I had, Just for you. I had a whole cup of coffee and a whole cup of matcha sitting here. And they're all gone. Poor baby. So I'm what's a little that bit stain on up. your wait, wait? What's that stain on your sweatshirt? What are you talking about stain? Stain? Yeah, near your well, shoulder, well, near your armpit, well, other well, armpit. What's that? What are you talking about? Up. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. What, what is I that? Was just up in the ceiling a minute ago. Jesus Christ. Pizza grease? What is that? It probably is. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out, Clark. <laughs> no, I think you're Clark. I'm not Clark. I'm like the goofy grandmother. So, <laughs> you, here's here. This sucks. I forgot to ask her how she wants us to say her last name. I was going to ask you what we Fuck. do about that. We could just say Michelle C. We could just say Michelle C. Since she does kind of keep it. It's Michelle a pseudonym C. anyway. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Michelle. <laughs> you are here by Michelle C. We are terrible, terrible people. Um, we just so, got done talking with Michelle C. And it was yeah. it was such a great interview. I love it when the guests just take the ball and run with it. The ball, so to speak. <laughs> She, well, in this case, she kicked someone in the balls and ran with them. She did. She actually literally kicked someone in the balls and ran with it. Ran with him. Ran with herself. She ran off the train <laughs> is what she did. <laughs> Such a good story. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 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 So it was, it was such a great interview. It was a great interview because she just, you know, people that are easy to talk to are the most fun. And they are. She's one of those people that's got that interesting life. You know, she's very open and vulnerable with her issues in her marriage and her musical past. And I mean, she's one of those people with rich stories and she's traveled abroad and uh, she's got kids now. And it's it's amazing when when you're exposed to how rich someone's life actually is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't know where she's only I, 40 years old, you know. 
Yeah. I, I didn't know or, you know, what to expect where. Sorry. My, ki- my, ki- my killer dogs are announcing someone at the door, I think. Stop. You know. <laughs> you are so unfocused. I am very unfocused. These are the things that happen in life. Your dogs just start barking at nothing. Um, Otto, Otto, behave. No. No. Don't sass me. No. Um, okay. So what was I saying? Jeez. You were I saying didn't, you didn't know what to expect. Yeah, I didn't know what to expect. So this took a really pleasant um took me on a really pleasant journey. I mean, we talked about music, we talked about her, you know her journey as a humorist um journey and a musician yeah as a musician mm-hmm. i learned a lot about her that i didn't know and she has lived a fascinating life now my daughter's walking in the room <laughs> Tell her to come say hi to the world Maybe, to our Maybe, listener do you want to come say hi to our listener oh, she's coming to say hi to our listener <laughs> oh she did say hi Avery, come say hi. I'm doing a pop- podcast. She's coming to say hi to the dog. <laughs> Avery, can you please shut the door? <laughs> See dogs, kids. It's a little bit of everything. I can't believe this didn't happen in the middle of the interview. I know. I'm glad it didn't happen in the middle of the interview. <laughs> Actually, what's astonishing is that's the first time I think that none of the three of us were interrupted. I know. Wow. And it happened with me, the elder. (laughs) (laughs) The elder. The elder. So, yeah, I really did enjoy that that conversation. Yes. Yes. And I think our, our amazing audience will enjoy it, too. Indeed. Enjoy. Is this where is this where we one up each other? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I said, good day. Good day. Good day. Enjoy Michelle C. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Michelle C. All right. (laughs) Just a warning. I'm a fucking mess this morning. I get it. (laughs) One, one. (laughs) Goddamn fucking HP. What's going on? What are you doing? Hi. I was just telling Michelle what a mess uh, I am this morning. So <laughs> it's okay. you're not alone. I was it's a- like every. Yeah. I don't think it's possible to not mess anymore. <laughs> like, is there a yeah. operating mode that isn't a mess? I haven't found one in yeah. probably seven years. I don't know. Full mess mode. What <laughs> makes you a mess this morning, Chris? I don't now my fucking headphones aren't working for some reason. Oh, I don't know what's going on. Here. Well, live free. It doesn't matter. It's fine. I can hear you, but I can't hear me, and I could before. I don't know what the fuck changed. Like what changes? Fucking week to week. <laughs> you? I think you should change the title of your podcast to like fucking with headphones. Fucking around with microphones and headphones. <laughs> It's awful. Yeah. Well, uh, whatever. Ready, so I'm ready. I'm ready to go. 
Look, you're ready. Okay. She's I, happy. She's. I haven't I, had my second sip of coffee yet this morning. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do it. Ready? Watch. Listen. If you had asked me, I mean, you wouldn't have because you're on the West Coast. But if you had asked me to do this at 8:30, I would have been the pissiest, most like. I just would have been the worst person because I didn't sleep at all last night. Well, but now the sun's shining, and it's the afternoon. Wait. Why didn't you sleep? Were the kids up? Well, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. I think the fucking kids were up. So it's every single day is a different thing. Like two nights ago, it was like my son that has allergies had a bloody nose and that freaked him out. That's like a, you know, legit thing that yesterday I took them to see a movie, which is like very rare because they're so little. They have almost never been to movies with you know, COVID and stuff. So we went to see the Lorax, which was a surprisingly kid-friendly, not scary movie for like my four and a half year old, but right outside the movie theater. And it's like, you do everything right to try to prevent nightmares. There's like one of those, um, just like ceiling size posters for children of the corn. And then on the other side is screen. (laughs) And my kids just, lost their mind they were like what is that you know the the girl with like the eyes and the pitchfork and i you're like don't worry about that it's like, just oh, a not thing seeing that movie don't and i like tried to push them aside and then last night they both had terrible nightmares about the girl in the picture with the pitchfork and so i had to lie to them and be like guys you misinterpreted the it's not it's not scary the girl's not the scary one she was just trying to look for ghosts she was a good guy like <laughs> it's not the plot of the story but I lied to them about the plot of children in the court. And now they think they're, they said they're fine. Now they don't, they're not scared anymore. Cause she was the good one. And she was just holding the pitchfork to go get the bad guys, which is not, <laughs> if I recall, but it's like, it's, I forgot about the risk of taking them in public and like being terrified. I mean, the scream mat, like the scream poster is literally like floor to ceiling with the face, just the scream face. Like as you're walking in, yeah. it's like, Dr. Seuss movie. <laughs> it's like what? That's anyway, funny. I was always the kind of mother that like took them to the theater and said, "Look at it. Look at it. It's make believe. Just look at it." <laughs> and did your right. And did your kids like wake up a lot with nightmares? Because I was. I know me. I was terrified of everything when I was a kid. I would wake up. I would have years missing sleep because I had seen like one. <laughs> piece of willow that freaked me out no my kid grew up wanting to um, make movies <laughs> like part of they like yeah. we're in yeah, yeah, because but we're inundated here you know we grew up in the la area so it's just inundated with you know you have to kind of explain you can't drive down the street without a billboard or, or without it's seeing just, it everywhere it's to live you can you could it's like you get it's you know what's the Maybe word it's like a more understanding of the make believe of it you know cuz like yeah. i just remember for my kids too having grown up mostly during covid it's like mm-hmm. the outside all the make believe stuff that you see is not really is like terrifying that's true yeah yeah um my son is He'll be seven. And he's that same thing. Like this first four years of his life. I mean, he didn't do anything. We didn't go anywhere for from when he was like, what, four to like seven or whatever it is. So then it was kind of a shock. When's your son's birthday? Then? So he's uh, is he in kindergarten or first grade? He's in first grade. He's yeah. He'll be seven in March. 
Mine, um, so our kids are the same. That my my oldest son is birthday is in December, and he's in first grade. Oh, so, yeah, okay. Exact timing. Although I have, you know, I'm behind you. I have a younger one than he grew up and yeah. just like exposed to nothing, literally just like living in a bubble. But he turned out okay. Right. But yeah. Um, so that's why I didn't sleep. Yeah. The goddamn children of the corn. Um, <laughs> children of the corn. With like bloody <laughs> eyes, you know, like demon eyed children in the field. Crazy. That's super. Yeah. There's always a reason, though. Like, my kids, they don't give me that much trouble, but all the stories you tell me about how, like, there's something every night that gets them up. It blows me away. And I don't know how you haven't just like jumped off a bridge yet. Yeah. Because there are all you really want to do is sleep. I don't have any clothes. In <laughs> yeah. Um, when Avery was little, maybe that's insensitive of me. When Avery was little, she had horrible allergies. So I was always up in the middle of the night with a nebulizer. Mm-hmm. Holding, like, oh. Yeah. It was constant. Just mm-hmm. up in the middle of the, when she was a baby, even just holding that thing to her mouth, yeah. and that that we dealt dealt with that for years. She's finally yeah, grown I, out of that, but I think having when I had my oldest son, so in like 2015, I think, and and when the newborn stage was just brutal, brutal, and I had a lot of postpartum depression, it was just like struggling, struggling, struggling. I just would look around and be like, oh my god, everyone is just barely alive. Like, it's like you get to the other side of it and you're like, oh, my God, I've been lied to this whole time. Like all these people I see out in the world that have kids are just just barely making it. (laughs) No, that's funny. And I I think you and I maybe have talked about this because it really does feel like, you know, people shove this fantasy of joy down your throat about what it's like to have kids and there are moments of joy but it is really a whole lot of fucking torture oh my god i really hated the and i mean you still see it but i'm i was kind of like one of the first people my friends have kids but even now it's like that the fantasy of like oh when you hold them in your arms for the first time are you just like overcome with this this um like more love than you've ever felt before and and it's like I just remember being in shock and like terrified and be, like, I don't, it took me a long time to feel that, you know? And yeah. so then you're also grappling with this, like, am I doing this wrong? What is going on? What am I, did I get like a faulty model? Like why, why am I not feeling just this like halo of energy around me as this like, you know, earth mother, I just felt like shit for like months. Even with my second, yeah, I, I didn't have postpartum depression. It was like still, it took me like till they interacted with you to feel anything that was more than just like, I have an obligation to care for this thing. And right. I like have to do it and I love it. And I wouldn't ever, I would like always protect them from harm, but I didn't feel this sense of connection really. Yeah. With my second child I had, who's now 10, I had um very difficult very difficult perinatal depression so i was in a very dark place throughout my entire pregnancy mm-hmm. horribly depressed um but it, it was i had to take partially situational i was like peri means before <laughs> yeah so wow yeah so during your pregnancy 
Well, peri- perinatal can also mean for people who are having difficulty getting pregnant as well, I believe, but it can also mean for people who are having depression during pregnancy. And um, it was also situational to what I was going through at the time. But yeah, I, I mean, my first pregnancy, I was just like the glowing pregnant woman. I, yeah, I was just thrilled to be having a baby. And even though I wasn't in the happy marriage at the time, it was like the save the marriage baby kind of. <laughs> um and I just wanted a baby so bad. And it, it wasn't until like my eighth month when the child wouldn't come out of me that I was like, make this stop now. <laughs> Get it out. And I was two weeks overdue and he was a 10 pound baby. So, yeah, <laughs> that, that wore off quickly. But um yeah, I was happy to be a newborn mom. So that's with your son that's old, that's older, right? Yes, he's he is uh, going to be 21 in May. Right. He's going to be so happy that we're talking about him again. See, again. We don't have to go there. I, I, I listen to all the other episodes. I know. I know what he's up to. <laughs> so we don't have to rehash that. Wait, no. I get it. I love it. I'm from Chicago. He hasn't said anything to me yet, so I'm not sure he's listening. <laughs> Oh, so we can say whatever we want about him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here. What is change. your writing <laughs> Yeah. What's your writing process? Like anybody gives a shit. No. <laughs> no. I want I want you to know I actually took notes. Oh my gosh. I think as we've gone, I've done uh, Almost no show prep before at all. And I even meant to with Carlos, but I'm an asshole and I just, I never really thought of it. But what show prep, like like looking at someone's yeah, writing? Or? Old stories and writing and whatever. So I, I did some of that with you and I even emailed them to Christy as homework. What, the stories? Yeah, a few of your, your I stories. I didn't do my show prep. <laughs> It's because she was she was sleeping on the air mattress. I was. <laughs> well, it's funny because I feel like Chris was around like when I first when I first tried writing, you were the one that edited a lot of my first stories. Well, I noticed so- I went back today and I found that I edited the one about you um kicking a guy in the balls on the Paris Metro. Oh my gosh. What? I didn't remember that I edited it. I remember reading it, but. Okay, that sounds yeah, amazing. So in my first ones, too, I feel like I was like, hello, Christopher. Thank you for your time. You know, I, I started those. Like, yeah. You know, that's you when I was like, you should just be an editor. Oh, that was very. Uh-huh. No, but honestly, I mean, Chris knows, but I really, like, before August, I did not do, I really didn't write at all. Like, I grew up. I grew up, you know, really into creative writing and stuff as a little kid. And my mom was an English teacher. and We always like told stories, but I was always good at writing like academically. You know, I did a lot of school and always wrote good papers. I was always the one that like chose the paper over the test, you know, when you get yeah. a class. But honestly, like since then, and I don't write that much in my job. My job is very active, kind of like direct servicey. And I... August was just this weird time where I just kind of like threw it all down and it was so fun. 
and oh very therapeutic. But God. Chris was very much a cheerleader. I like would an early never cheerleader. have guessed that. Right. Holy shit. Oh. I but I mean I really like there were times in my life where I journaled a lot and times in my life where I had little sparks of ideas and I have all these, you know, like Google Docs where I maybe like started something, but without really an audience or like a way where anywhere to put it, they just kind of stayed in my Google Drive. So like periods of my life that were really formative when I was like constantly just taking in things, I wrote a lot. And some of those I maybe look back on and try to like make stories about later, but never really like wrote personal essays or anything. And then it was actually that during all of the craziness in my marriage, when I was like constantly searching online, you know, when you're in those stages of life or whatever it is, like in my case, it was like, should I get divorced? You're just like on the internet asking it like a therapist every day, try, like hoping that some new article will come out. That's going to tell you the answer. So yeah. you're like, like how bad does it have to be till you get to, I mean, my search history is insane, right? It's like um, other people who like, you know, just ridiculous things asking the world. And uh, because Medium, I now know, has like such good Google hits, whatever, a lot of the things I would find were like random stories on Medium that people had written about divorce or open marriages or whatever. And so once I started reading this one woman's writing and she like started talking about Medium as a thing, I was like, I've never even heard of this. And I just kind of like looked into it and just kind of exploded or like threw up into me like all the things that I had been dealing with for years and it was so fun but I'm very thankful for Christopher Robin because you were just like so um such a cheerleader and it really like you know we talked about this it sucks about medium that like it's such a instant gratification thing right like the dopamine of like having people like you that yeah that made me write a lot more when I felt like people were like supportive or like this is good it just like made me write more and I think if I had written and it was kind of silence right I bet I would have like stopped doing it after a couple stories really? you know because like, well, what's this thing I don't know nobody's reading it it's kind yeah. of but to be honest so, that's kind of how I got involved too because I started you know when I started down the sober curious path you know, I mm -hmm. would do searches for things and whatever. And a lot of um, a lot of Google searches led me to Medium. Yeah, and that's how I found it. And then I, I kind of found some ideas and support. It was kind of like Inception at the time. You know, um, <laughs> the, the seed was planted. And then, you know, here I am three, three and a half years later. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sober and kind of meeting, right? <laughs> I still fucking love it. That's right. No, it's, I mean, it's kind of inspiring then to think that like, maybe it isn't just silly, you know, like that if people who maybe find your stuff and feel inspired by it now. It's then not then you're silly. Kind of it's just, it can get exhausting if yeah. you have to take it for what it's worth. And I think we all, Christy and I just talked about this yesterday. We all go down this, this road where we're kind of, um, it's cyclical. You just kind of get tired of the cult-like atmosphere sometimes. Yeah, my path but. was a little different. I I was actually looking for a platform because I mm -hmm. I wrote because you were already an established writer. Yeah, and so I was. My search was 
you know, looking for writing platforms because Blogger wasn't really a thing anymore. You know, I knew writing on WordPress was kind of going to an empty audience. So I was looking for a place that people were at writing. When did you join? I joined in November 21. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So you you weren't like one of those people writing essays in 2015. No, no. I, I just like who were these people that like I joined in, in like two weeks later. I I started the memoirist. Oh wow, so fun. Yeah, because I couldn't find any um any publications that fit my genre. So I was like, I'm just gonna start it myself. That's really. I cool. was I was really jealous of uh christy at that point in time because i had i had been there like two years at the time and here she was like attracting all this attention with the memoirist and then she put out this uh what was that it It was was a music and memoir prompt yeah the music memoir prompt and i was like fuck her she's taking all my action with song stories so that's when i then when did you connect and join the same that was it. I actually messaged her about that prompt. And I was like, listen, I have this entire pub that's built around this idea. So we should we should team up. And then we did. And I just forked it over. Just gave it to her. <laughs> what he doesn't know oh. is I never deleted it. <laughs> it's still fucking there. I know. Once in a while, I still have people read like the submission guidelines and clap. Well, on. I. Because there's something in the back of my mind that I still might want to bring it back to life one day. Well, and here's why I'm not upset you haven't deleted it yet. Because once in a while, I still get a wild hair up my ass and I want to write. And as much as I love the memoirist, I can't do it there. It needs a dedicated pub. And I think song stories is it. And that's why I haven't, I'm like, you know, there's still something about song stories that's special. And I, I can't bring myself to let it go. I'm like, there's still a place for it. We just haven't had time yet. And I don't know that we will, but I mean, it's interesting that it's still all there. Yeah. Yeah. Because people don't like that stuff. You know, it it does have an audience that's different from the memoirist. It's musical memoirs are different. A little bit like more serious. Mm -hmm. Yes. It is funny how both, uh, how memoirists and Age of Empathy have very specific personalities. Yes. They do. Like from the beginning, I was much more of a personal essay. Like I very much veered more toward that than memoirist. Memoirist kind of scared me because it felt very, um, like specific mm-hmm. <laughs> or like I was always unsure whether I quite met the requirements of a memoir. Like, was it one memory? Was it more than a memory? And yeah, I don't like gravitate there as much, even though most of my stuff is very personal. It's not as much about like a really specific big thing that happened to me. Yeah. I would agree. I was intimidated but, by it at first too. And then like all of my medium friends, all of a sudden started writing for it. I was like, what is going on over there? I need to check it out. <laughs> And who's this attention whore getting? <laughs> the name sounds so sophisticated too. Like the memoirist, it just sounds very um, serious. It sounds very uppity. Like a serious writer. Well, I know? am. I am an uppity serious writer. Oh, so no, you are right. a serious writer. But, um, <laughs> yeah. All right, but here. Okay. What well, uh, I want to hear Google hits. 
and balls on the metro. Yeah, I want to hear the story about you kicking the guy in the yes. balls on the metro. I haven't heard this story. What? What is this? That is, you know, that was such a fun story to write because it was this tiny little moment in my life. It did not influence my life very much. And in fact, I had kind of forgotten about it, but something brought it back. And I was like, that's kind of a insane story to tell that says a lot about my personality. So it's basically, so I was like, I lived abroad um, a bunch of different times, but I was studying abroad in France, in Paris. And I used to just wander all around the city a lot in the afternoons. And I would walk as far as I could and then take the metro back. That was like my daily thing. And on one, you know, you see a lot of crazy stuff in the Paris metro. Like people just doing nuts. I mean, any metro system, right? But this guy, I was like kind of alone at this one point, And this man, this smallish, like kind of middle-aged man came up to me very panicky, like needing help. And my first reaction when someone needs help is like, I'm very, I'm like, um, what do you need? You know, like, I got you. And he was just like, in kind of broke, well, he was speaking French, but I could barely understand him. But he was basically like pointing near his crotch and being like, you need to kick here. And he was like, I'm having, he, and he kept explaining like, I remember him using the words like, like nerve, like nerves, like I'm having a nerve. I thought he was having a seizure. And that the only way, and I'm not stupid, but it, this makes me sound very stupid. I, my interpretation of this scenario was that he was having a seizure of some kind. He had a medical condition. And the only way to solve it in the moment was to be kicked right here, like in his groin. And he was like, no, you just need to kick me really hard in the balls. <laughs> and I was like, and I remember just having one of those moments and nobody else was around. I didn't feel unsafe at all by him. It wasn't like he was like going to attack me. He was just like really upset. And I just remember being like, I could walk away to this man who's like in pain or I could just do it. It's not going to bother me. And I was just like, well, okay, sir. And I just kicked him really hard in the balls. And then he like doubled over and like made a noise. And it was like, he just really wanted to be kicked in the balls. And I just walk, I think like, I can't, I think in the story we were in the Metro and I like got off then. Cause yeah, I was just like, in the story you jumped right off. Yeah. Well, because... I think it was like, a very it wasn't that I ran away from him though because it was just very weird he was not at all again not at all like large or scary or like going to attack me but I think in the moment I was just like wait a minute this is strange or this is a little strange and I and like the doors open I was like all right goodbye like it was a <laughs> fetish thing I think so or he <laughs> yeah weird shit right and I just was but like the fact that it was both being expressed to me in a foreign language that I was just learning and he just was in such distress I really believed him that he was like in distress and so the, the essay I wrote is more about how I also just like sometimes like my empathy for others gets me in trouble that I like always <laughs> give people the benefit of the doubt even when it's like so obvious this is a weird fetish and I should just walk away i'm just like well if all it takes for this guy to be happy is to be kicked really hard in the balls like it's not gonna hurt me <laughs> okay, but so. i wrote that like one of my first stories but the funny part of it that i told chris and i can't like quite make this into a really funny actual written story but it's like you know it got a few views it was one of my earlier stories not that many people saw it and then when you go to your stats i was like noticing that it was picking up and they were all external views, which is weird for a story like that, because it was not at all informative on anything, right? 
definitely not adding value. <laughs> like Tony's double binds, like not adding value or research to anyone, but in this story. And I looked and there were just these peaks of like external views quite a lot, you know, like where it goes like this, like you can tell it's getting hit. So I, and I looked down, I did my research and like, where is it being seen? You know, this weird story. And it was all Google. So I just did this quick, like, you, you know how you can reverse like search and see where your thing comes up. So I just searched like balls Metro or balls Paris Metro. And I'm like second hit on Google. And I, I realized that, which is like pretty high up on the on your SEO, you know, thing. And then I looked and I realized that there's a there's a restaurant in Paris called Balls, ball, just Balls, um, like a meatball restaurant. And people were searching like how to find balls on the metro. <laughs> like, like how do how do I get to this restaurant on the metro? People were searching up like directions. Because <laughs> then I would search. I was like, how do I get to balls on the metro, on the Paris metro? And my, I'm like second hit. And they made so the first story. <laughs> yes. And like the first hit is, you know, like a Google map directions and then me. And I just, it just made me smile because it's like, it's just such a confusing place out there. <laughs> you knew how to do SEO before SEO was like a thing people even talk about. And the same thing, I mean, I had two stories that I like thought were kind of cute in that sense. And I wrote one's really absurd, stupid thing about plantar fasciitis being like a rite of passage for people. Oh, that's, in their on, 40s. that's on my list. Oh, like like the humor of it to me was basically just like everywhere I go, everyone I'm friends with who's around my age seems to be complaining about plantar fasciitis. It's like just this thing that happens to everyone's heels when they turn like 39. And up and everyone I, I, I mean, want I, you to know I, that that's not entirely true because I had it when I was like 22 okay and I needed well, a support group the that <laughs> okay well you were like running in the army right you had like yeah you were, like, that's why but it seems oh. to be afflicting like a lot of people who are just walking around and their heels hurt you know and so I just wrote a silly thing about like a plantar fasciitis support group being um like what everyone in their 40s needed and it was stupid and like not many people read it but it also got all these google hits because people were looking up planner <laughs> <fashion support. laughs> so anyway i i really like get a chuckle out of the internet a lot and I, if i can be i just like the idea of someone being like what is this because the title of it is like welcome to your planter fasciitis support group so the idea of someone clicking on that and even reading a couple paragraphs in, you know, that's, that's awesome. not where I thought this conversation was going to go. I can tell you that <laughs> right now. I know. We <laughs> oh, I also love that because that was meant to, that was like one of my first, like first attempts at satire. And it like that one wasn't that successful, but so many people wrote in comments when they did read that were all just very literal interpretations, thinking I was just complaining about plantar fasciitis. <laughs> people were like, you should try yoga. <laughs> you should you, well that honestly one of the first things that drew me to your writing was first off your honesty and your openness and then your humor that's what that's actually how i found you in the first place was because of those couple of humor stories i mean including the kicking the guy in the balls on the metro because while there it was truthful there was an element of satire and humor to that <laughs> That was pretty great. Yeah. 
So, you know, all you got to do is write about balls or pubes or hand jobs or sex in cars and you're golden. Which I've actually only wrote about, written about two of those. Are you sure? Well, the sex in cars was to make fun of you. <laughs> yeah, I remember you that one. I've about never it. written about a hand job. That's just a joke. Oh, I'm when sorry. Did I write about, oh, oh, in in the in the story about you, where I impersonated your editing. Yeah, that was my favorite. Did you like that little? Yes. Oh, it was so great because all <laughs> stories need more hand jobs in them. <laughs> yeah, I, I really. Yeah. Aside from that one, making fun of you, that's not been a like central theme of any of my writing, but. (laughs) (laughs) But no, it is true. I mean, the the whole sex selling and like. Those stories having a bigger impact, that's been true for the most part, although not totally for me. It's not totally true. I just I, I would say the most successful stories for me are relationship ones. They're not all about sex. Like anything about divorce gets a lot of hits. Well, that's because it's so personal and Mm -hmm. vulnerable. Like not a whole lot of people can put that stuff out there. It's hard to do. Yeah. Well, it's, it's easier when you're not writing under your own name. Yeah. Right. Like that, that is something for sure. Notice like I'm not that I'm an open person, especially to my friends, but I'm not like, I'm kind of prudish in normal life. Like I would never talk about pubes openly. Speaking of pubes, like (laughs) yeah, voluntarily. Like that's not that's not like I'm not like crass or like I don't know. I actually and and even sexual stuff was not something I like am that open about. But it did. It was very empowering to like hide behind this other name yeah which kind of brought out my voice more in a way because it was like not at all you know most of us care what other people think of us yeah we do yeah i mean it's a human thing to care what people think about you and hopefully you it goes away a little bit as we get older right but um i think christy can empathize with the name thing too Mm -hmm. yeah yeah was that always your 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 real last name yeah, so that's the problem. I mean, I, I do feel like going by the pen name empowers me a little bit, but it's not so far off my real name that it gives me a cover. <laughs> so I can't. And you have pictures of yourself. Hmm? Or I mean, like, and you have pictures. That yeah, you exactly. So I can't, you know, go all out. Um, but it does. It's weird because it always gave me a a boost of my personality where I could feel more myself in my writing where, you know, in my everyday, um, life, I would, you know, be depressed or down or whatever. And going by Kiki, um, I could write and kind of like, um, go back into, in time and, be confident mm. and and all that. Now I understand they're one and the same. Where mm. before I thought they were separate identities. Now I now I know they're they're both me. Um that's I love that your recent kind of um mm-hmm. like self discovery with that and identity. Yeah. I told her she's a butterfly. I am a butterfly. <laughs> 
we, well, I do think that now I've practiced getting all this stuff out in the open. I'm kind of less concerned about the identity piece, although given that I'm also kind of in like a job search now, I'm pretty happy that that's not like my first hit on my name is like the great pubes, you know, it's just right. like, yeah, but I think it get me not hired, but it, I am glad that my internet presence isn't like front and center with that stuff. Really. I don't have a very big internet presence. One thing that surprised me too, though, that I hope is a sign of like personal growth is that, um, if like, let's say, I don't know. I mean, medium is a, is a kind of internal place, but let's say like one of my pieces did really well or got published somewhere else or I like got notoriety for it. I don't care that much that it's like attached to me. Like, I don't care as much anymore that I'm getting accolades for something that's like people know is me. It's kind of like fine to myself to know that it's attached to me without it being public. Mm -hmm. Cause someone, um, another writer like editor once suggested to me like you know you should really reserve just your pen name for like maybe this other silly you know your smut <laughs> stuff and then like open a new medium account in your own name like publish elsewhere like make a name for yourself in writing like don't hide behind this thing but I kind of don't care that much about yeah. the, the well, being like mine like people well that's tricky too because I mean how much can you balance Mm hmm. That's just I mean, that's more than twice. Oh, the work. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, not yeah, just I even don't... medium, like outside in the world. OK, so this personality writes about these pieces and this personality writes this style piece and this personality writes the humor pieces. I mean, Jesus Christ, it's hard enough to balance it all as it is. Right. No, I think if I ever wanted to, like, publish outside of medium, I would just like change it to my real name, maybe and or just keep my name and just publish everything under that but i i think i would just change it all in like one full swoop and accept that some of my stuff is kind of silly or sexual or whatever yeah so what else is on your list yeah, what's on your list chris well here's the thing because christy and i share a lot of the same musical taste um, uh -huh. but christy i don't know if you knew that michelle does too oh. she Loves Rufus. Ah, oh, um, I love Rufus. Gregory Allen Isakoff, uh, all that, mm -hmm. that stuff that we like, she likes mm -hmm. too. And Michelle, I was reading the story you wrote about the cellists in, uh, Strawberry Fields Forever. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that piece because you didn't make it about the song or about you. You made it about time mm -hmm. and our relationship with it and how some things last beyond time and space i just i love that whole theme thank you yeah that i i think what i liked about that piece is like a lot of my earlier things especially when i was kind of churning it out because i had all the these stories in my head were very much just medium style pieces right like you, you get were so obnoxious Stop. unreadable <laughs> unreadable no, I remember when Chris got real grumpy and he wrote that piece. It was like, I'm unfollowing everyone on Medium because I get too many emails. And I was like, oh, man, I'm one of those. <laughs> and then, I was like, oh, man, I remember being really I must have been like in a really vulnerable place and being like, oh, Chris doesn't like me anymore. Oh, Chris just gets dickish every once in a I while. Do. I do. It wasn't, but it was 
totally like also self-indulgent because it was as if it was all geared toward me as if I'm the only person yeah. Chris reads well, it's like he right. PMSs every once in a while and just <laughs> does things like that hey, that's a thing it is I know male PMS it totally is a male uh, thing maybe I'm going through menopause yeah maybe but anyway, that yeah. was that was not an example. That was actually a piece that I started, gave some time to, like let it settle. I didn't just write it chronologically like most of my stories. I didn't just kind of like put in little cutesy whatever. I I kind of wrote it, paused, came back to it. I think made it a lot better. Like all the things about my friend that I wove in were new. Like the second draft, I kind of my first draft was just about the cellos in the piece and the concept of time and whatever and I somehow like wove in stories more of my friend because she had been really pivotal in my like discovery of the Beatles right mm -hmm. like school, you know like a bunch of girls in middle school listening to the Beatles and she's just such a wonderful person in my life that I I kind of like wove in stories of her and memories of her and first things we had done and it was it was really nice because it it's one of the things I like actually gave time to and it made me feel like, okay, if I spend some time, like sit on something, sleep on it, come back to it, it can be way better than just the average, like medium turnout, silly stories. Well, that's what I liked so much about it because I, I think the way you summed it up at the end was the best. And you said something along the lines of, um, you know, they had no idea in 1967 when they recorded the cello parts for Strawberry Fields Forever that it would remind me of my friend um, in New York in the 90s or whatever it was. I just thought that was a really cool string of events. Yeah, I mean, that's why being a musician and I'm, I'm sure like being a really profound writer, too, has this effect on people. But the idea of that all of these people over time have all these memories attached to you because of something you put out in the world and especially something what like what struck me about that too because I was driving my car having kind of a reflective moment alone which is pretty rare and listening to that old CD because it was my car that still has a CD player and I had that blue it's not really the blue album but it's you know the you know what I'm talking about right the, I know the, exactly what it looks like I'm picturing it right now with them looking over the railing the apple, right and the, yeah. and and just like that even just that flow of songs you know how it's often when you're thinking back to CDs, you listen to over and over and over again back in the day when we listen to CDs, you memorize the mm -hmm. order of the songs, right? You didn't have, you didn't have shuffle play, right? You, you memorize that album and like the, the transitions between songs and you find, I mean, I find myself singing the next song, right? As the next, you know, one ends. So when I was listening to that song, the Strawberry Fields was never actually even like one of my favorite songs by the Beatles, but I was just thinking in my car, like how cool it is to for the cello specifically or any sort of musician in a piece like that, that are never known by name, but then create this like very known, even if it's a couple seconds of music, right? Like that kind of those, that like those few seconds of music with the cellos in that piece is like something so many people could recognize. And yet they it's were just interesting because they had no idea they were going to be uh, involved in something bigger. Well, maybe they did. I mean, 1967, the Beatles were mm -hmm. already pretty well known, yeah. right? 
I mean, I bet, I bet at the time, if you were those three cellists that got picked to play in Strawberry Fields Forever and Abbey Road and whatever, you were like pretty excited probably to record for the Beatles. I mean, what's it like to be a, like a, uh, studio string musician? Yes. That's what I was thinking about. That's why I wrote it. Cause I was like, nobody knows you by name. Right. And yet, especially in big orchestral arrangements, no, definitely nobody knows individual members of the orchestra. And yet often you're playing these parts of songs that are so well known. Yeah. Or that really like make the song. But of course, you know, everybody knows the Beatles, but anyway, it was, yeah, it was a fun thing to write to like reflect on these little, these people who now also, um, one of the three of them that I discovered through an online search had a little bit more stuff about her online. Like most of them were actually very low profile hmm. online, but this one woman was just so sweet. There was like this story about her hundredth birthday in the town that she grew up in in England. And it was like talking about how she had recorded for the Beatles and played in the Blitz, like in these orchestras in the forties during the Blitz. It's unbelievable. The Blitz in 39. No, what year was anyway, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The, the strings oh. in Eleanor Rigby always got me. That was yes. Well, and the same I asked, Yeah. I asked Michelle a few weeks ago. I was like, Hey, by the way, are they the same cellist that played on Eleanor Rigby? Because I think that line kind of sticks yeah. out a little bit more. Yeah. Until you listen to Strawberry Fields again and you will hear it and you probably won't unhear it. Mm. Yeah. I think it was those, you know, the studio artists that they kind of recruited played in, in a lot of those pieces then. But yeah, I, I've always loved music. I mean, I was a musician, not like you. I mean, I, I don't think it was as central to my identity as maybe for you. Um mm. Or like I was in musical servitude. <laughs> cool, right? You're forced into it. But no, I, I played the viola my, my oh, whole wow. life, like until I became um, my, not my whole life, from like elementary school through, I don't know, when I was 30 and really haven't touched it since. Um, and it was like always a part of my identity in that that was what I associated with me, like going to orchestra rehearsals and being in ensembles. And I played in, in my university orchestra. And like when I went abroad, I brought my viola with me and I played in a little symphony there. It was like, it was always something about me, but I never felt good enough where it was going to be like my thing. It was more like my hobby identity kind of, and I didn't love it. Like by the end of it, there were periods of time when I loved creating music, but I never felt like a musician because I played the viola from the start, which is like such a weird thing to like start on. I think I, I, you know, I like took piano lessons for a month or something when I was little and I gave it up, but I never got a really strong foundation in music theory or like anything where you could jam, you know, like I really wish I had a foundation in piano or guitar and I felt like I could just jam with music and like express myself through it. I always just felt like I was this classical trained musician that was like, you just went to work in the practice room and you did your right. part. And then like, even when you're in the orchestra, you're just playing one part of 20. Right. Don't usually have like a real, um, like, yeah, you're not playing the melody. No, no. Every once in a while, there's like a viola solo that's kind of cool, but it's very much like the the beat. You're on the beat. Um, so anyway, I had a complicated relationship with music because I wanted so much to be good and I was good enough to carry on like into my 
you know, university and later life, but it wasn't like something I loved doing. It was kind of like this thing I did. And so what was it like to give it up? You know, it was so slow that it didn't really totally feel like this. It wasn't like I went through some sort of grief. It was like I went to, I lived in Senegal for a year. I definitely didn't bring my viola there. It would have cracked in half in like one second um, with the humidity. And then I, when I moved to New York City, I was a teacher and I played in this like in like a community orchestra in Brooklyn for a while. So I felt like, oh, I was, I just felt like I did all these things to just keep it up, but I didn't really love it. You know, I didn't, nobody loves going to orchestra rehearsals at 7.30 at night after a full day of work. It just right. takes away some of the joy. <laughs> you know, like, that I just same remember- thing happened to me as an adult because I, I kind of wanted to give it up, but my dad didn't want me to. And I'm like, man, I can't go at 7.30 on a Tuesday night exactly. for a community band thing. I can't do this anymore anymore yeah so I did it like just to do it just to kind of feel good about myself and then I went to law school and didn't really play much but there were a couple of opportunities there where other students that had musical backgrounds did like little concerts mm-hmm. just for fun so like someone organized informally you know like other law students that that played we put on a recital so I did I got into like this trio or quartet and felt like okay I'm keeping it up you know and then once I moved here to DC and started like working again and then had kids, my God, no way. Yeah, right. Like, That's no when way. it really hit me too. I was like, I can't, I got babies at home and diapers to change and sleep to not get, you know, I can't do this. I'm really, making notes. I'm curious. Oh, I was just making notes hmm? about, a, <laughs> about a possible title for this show. Sorry. <laughs> It came to mind, and I didn't want to lose it. <laughs> Sorry. What? Um, I think you should put it like um, writing and AI. Oh yeah. God, and sex and handjobs. Yeah, no, I put, I put <laughs> personal essays, making music, and <laughs> handjobs. Handjobs. <laughs> Wait a minute. Huge. Kicking, uh, kicking balls. That would take up a whole lot. Of time. <laughs> Yeah. I don't have yeah. the end yet. Kicking. Kicking. Yeah. Only I really have only kicked one person in the balls. And it was that man. <laughs> and I hope he's doing well. Michelle told me this morning that she didn't want to spend an hour talking about pubes, but she was willing to give it 15 minutes. Yeah, it was like up to 15 minutes I'm fine with. Yeah. We don't want to become you the pube see, show. Where do you see the promo? <laughs> No, no. And I also don't want my name associated with like, I, I just feel like it creates this like really, Nasty. you know, disturbing image. Yeah. You know what? I, yeah, I ended on. up taking that um, graphic down on Instagram, Chris, that associate associated me with the, with the white pubes, because all of a sudden I was just kind of like, ah, this is a little creepy. Why did a graphic <laughs> with white pubes? Hmm? What graphic okay, associated so with I pubes? Made I made, I, let me see. I might be able to share it. Okay. Like from like, I was going to send it to her, but I wanted to wait till okay, we did the show. Okay, hold on. I'll send it to you. Um, we can get your live on-air reaction to <laughs> Christy's promos. Is this like an un, like an Unsplash video, like graphic or a one you made? Okay, That's I'll what wait. I made. Okay. Okay. You're going to see my mess of a... Oh, my God. I'm, we're going to screen share. Jesus. Okay, ready? <laughs> no, that's not. Oh. 
<laughs> Do you like the kitten? <laughs> it says for our re- our audience. Okay, I just want to state for everyone who knows me and my white hair, I do not have gray pubes yet. Kiki Walter. And yeah. it's the, it's with a it's an inspirational quote that went on Instagram with a with an image of a cute little white white and gray kitty. Oh. And here's here's the one I left up. I left this one up on Instagram. This is a quote and these are quotes from our last show. This is this is riveting radio. We've got pubes. We've got Benny Hill. We've got I seriously want to have a sexy voice contest with everyone who comes on the show. Christopher Robin. I'm glad you put that up because I thought every every episode we do like to have the sexy voice contest. Yes. So So, that reminds um, us what we haven't done yet is is decided. I think we have to decide on the air what the line is going to we be. We do need... That's got to be the same one, you yeah. know, to be like an no. object. Well, I guess it could be. I mean, I was going to say, everybody has to say um, something about theunfocusedwriter.com. But so they, in this case, I think it needs to be, I want you to kick me in the balls as hard as you ooh, can. I like it. But you got to do it in a sexy voice. That's in the challenge. Sense? In French, as an old shriveled man. <laughs> oh my God! I've, I no, I don't remember. To even kick do me in the balls as hard <laughs> as you can. Très vite, très vite, très vite. <laughs> okay, I want you to kick me in the balls as hard as you can. <laughs> okay, Chris. This is <laughs> so ridiculous. You always win, Christy. Always wins the. That's <laughs> it's, it's bullshit. <laughs> It's not really a contest. Chris, go. I know, because I can't compete with that. Okay. I can't I can't even say it without all right. I like how um Jenny um when she wrote her I think she wrote like a, a piece on Medium after she did your podcast, she called Christy's voice like a like a cup of coffee. <laughs> she did. I love, I love that. What did she say? Like a warm cup of coffee? It's so good. I don't know how to say this. I want you to kick me in the balls. As hard as you can. Well, if you insist. Okay. <laughs> that wasn't very sexy. I was having a hard time not laughing. All right, let me try it again. I want you to kick me in the balls as hard as Ooh. you can. Okay, that was very good. <laughs> I have to say, if I was staring you straight in the eyes and you were on the Paris Metro and you asked me that, I would run as <laughs> like this this little old man that was like, please, 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 please. That was fun. You that. Was intense. Yeah, that's that's like rapist. Oh, uh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Spidey Yeah. So what I should have said was nothing. Yeah, probably. Okay, Michelle. Okay. I want you to kick me in the balls right now. Oh, as hard as you can. Right now. <laughs> wow. Very nice. <laughs> I don't know. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to put a poll up or something to see who wins. I think this we one. can put polls up on our <laughs> website. <laughs> it's just Christy, Christy all the way. Okay, I'm, I'm officially disturbed now, and I have no idea what direction this show is going to go <laughs> from this point on. We were talking about music, though. Yeah, it was a it good was conversation. Nice. I wanted yeah. to ask you what's your. I wanted to ask you what your favorite Rufus song oh. is. Hmm. Well, I wrote that piece about the consort, which I've right. always really loved. Um, 
because it reminds me of like my early weeks with my husband when we were dating, when we were young. Um, I love that song. Actually, so I don't know if I have a favorite. I, I hate favorites questions, actually. I don't, I never, sorry, I don't I don't like that question either. After I asked it, I was like, I fucking hate that question. But I do have a story like, well, well, two stories, because two times I've seen, I think I've seen him three times wow. in concert. Just so fun. His concerts are so fun. It's all middle-aged women. <laughs> um, but one that was really powerful. He played. Um, he's written two songs about his parents. Mm. Is um dinner at eight, and then which is about his father, and the one um, what's it called? I always hated it. A oh, beauty mark. You know what I'm talking about. Mm. A beauty mark, but I did not have you. <laughs> or he's lies. You know that song? No. no? Anyway. <laughs> I don't. We'll put it in the yeah. show notes. Okay. Beauty mark. That's about his mother. And he, in one of his concerts, he like gave a really lovely intro about like complicated relationships with your family. And how he wrote these two pieces that were like really special to him, one about his father and one about his mother. And he played them like one after the other. And it was like very, it was very powerful. So I don't know if I would say either of those are my favorite, but the way he played them and the way he presented them, um, especially Dinner at Eight, because Dinner at Eight is beautiful. I mean, it's like a very intense, Mm -hmm. like you can tell there's some stuff there with the dad. Um, and then another concert that I just was like stopped in my tracks by his cover of, um, both sides now. He oh had, yeah. It's not his song, obviously, but he, um, Christy, you wrote about that one, didn't you? Mm, or no. you put it in a piece or Michelle, did you write about it? I no, wrote I about didn't. it in, in my piece about Rufus, but I think someone else, yeah. I think we were talking once because someone else wrote uh, submitted a story to the memoirist or age of empathy with like, the title. Yeah. That. Yeah. For me, wait. And I was joking that it's an easy out to title the song. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So for me, it's really a simple, obvious song, but it, because it holds a special meaning in that cigarettes and, and chocolate milk, but, I, I know that because I, I wrote about it and you were pissed yeah, at me. And I was, it's because I was pregnant with Jude at the time and I would listen to that album was out at the time and I would listen to it over and over and over again um, as I drove to work. And it just, um, and it reminded me of some things and I would just mm-hmm. like go over it in my head, like the entire time. And I would listen to that, that and the Beatles one album I had like on rotate in my car. And that's how I came up with Jude for his name, by the way, I like one day the song came on and I just was like, it's Jude. He's Jude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew that. Mm-hmm. Now his father doesn't think that he's named after the song, but he's named after the song, <laughs> like 100%. That's how I came up with it. Um, you know, when I when I think of Rufus's voice, though, it's it's kind of a universal thing I'm attracted mm-hmm. to, and it's it's when that voice is like when it's lilting and it's yes. sad and it's deep. That's why I love. 
Gregory Allen Isakoff so much too, because his writing is so complicated and deep. I'm just attracted to that, which is why, you know, I, I appreciate both of your stories so much because there's more, there's more to them. There's always the little stories inside the stories. And that's how I feel about their music as well. I can't, I can't get enough of that depth. Mm -hmm. Well, it's beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful when someone's a really beautiful musician and a beautiful mm -hmm. songwriter, I think it just opens up all like so many more possibilities with the memories you associate with yeah. it and the feelings you have. I mean, Chris, we've talked about like the sad music. Like my kids oh, are yeah. both like at all in like a minor key. They're just like off. Yeah. I just want happy. I just want, and I've had friends like that too, that I remember growing up even in high school. It's like, why would you listen to something that makes you sad? It's like, cause that's why I do everything. <laughs> it's like, why? There's something like, I mean, they're definitely musicians and, and pieces that I've liked that pep me up or that are like moving in other ways, but really it's the sad stuff. It's like the stuff that gets you, gets all the feelings out. That is why I even listen to music. So it's funny. Some people avoid stuff. it. It's like, they don't want I, yeah, I, I think I probably listen to more sad music than, you know, for lack of a better term, happy music for that reason. It makes me actually, it kind of calms me down yeah. and it makes it okay to be a little bit sad now and then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I forget, <laughs> but I definitely had some, of. Uh, oh, you know what I was going to say? I, there is this every once in a while on Instagram. I like discover these young musicians or something. Right. But there's this, what, when you brought up the word Jude, uh, the name Jude reminded me, there is this very sweet Australian man, but he's probably 20. This is like hard. Whose name is Jude York, who has this song that I just love right now. And he reminds me a little bit of Rufus Wainwright. Mm, I'll have to look him up. I don't know if you're, He's very young and he's little and he's just like this. He just seems like this little sweetheart. And he's this Australian kid that's like made this song called Mr. Porcelain. I think it's called Mr. Porcelain um, that I've just got in my head. And I wrote him a little message oh on Instagram. Gosh. You know how you can. Yeah. And I was just, I'm a huge fan. I'm like a 40 year old mom. And I'm telling you, I'm like loving this. He's like very openly gay and like talks about it being this like gay anthem about like your first love. That, mm -hmm like an unrequited love. Um, but I just love that. I'm just like such a fan. I kind of like want him to be my son or something Aww. weird. <laughs> but he, he also posts on Instagram, all these really sweet things of him playing his piano and like kind of singing a ballad and his mom coming in from the side, harmonizing with him. Cause she's like this old, like retired opera singer or something. And so he's like, there's a lot of parents involved in his stuff. That's cute. But anyway, check him yeah, out. It sounds like a lot of parallels. There. You know what other one? Maybe the millions of listeners for your podcast are going to get this guy yes. a deal, right? If we like really promote him. That's right. Like it's hey. all from the unfocused writer listeners that like made my career. Maybe. On the unfocusedwriter.com. That's right. <laughs> that was a very good hey. plug there, Chris. I know, right in time. Exactly. It was a sexy. It was sexy. It was sexy without being rapey, It was right? sexy without yeah, being no. rapey. It was very good. <laughs> Hey, Michelle, real quick. The yeah. the other artist I wanted to ask you about was the woman you told me about who's on Spotify. And I for, I don't know how to say her name. Anais Mitchell. Oh, God. Yeah. So, 
Ugh. Yeah, didn't you say her your husband went to college with her or something? Not quite. Yeah, they studied abroad together. She's exactly okay. age, I think, and she, my husband, when he was in college, went to Egypt for a semester. Um, he was studying Arabic, and she was on his trip. Um, okay. He knew her since they were young, and she was always like a kind of young, you know, into music. But she really just did such a wonderful job with her songwriting, and is now she wrote Hades Town, um, which became like pretty popular on Broadway. Like she wrote, you know, a musical eventually, but her actual like folk, her folk pieces, she's really just an amazing folk musician. She has a very well, distinct voice, but her songs, oh my God. And also she's one that I really associate with like my own life history because my husband and I would go to her concerts back when she was, you know, still like performing at little tiny things. Every time she was in town, we would always go because we felt like we knew her and then she got to be performing at bigger and bigger places and I think she opened for um we went to one concert here where she opened for like Patty Griffin and um there was some trio of like badass women <laughs> singer songwriter Patty Griffin and I forget who else she was touring with but she opened for them but yeah she's amazing oh uh, I we have an unfocused writer playlist on Spotify, actually, we've been kind of curating for a while. And it's a lot of this stuff that we're talking about. And that song, her song, Bright Star, is yeah. on the playlist. Oh, awesome. Oh, it, it just came on this morning. Yeah, it is a newer one. I, I remember you telling me that. But um, yeah, we have like to have The Taylor, I think, is beautiful. Okay. Very poetic. And she often writes, and I don't even know the terminology. It's almost like these old... Um, like what's like the old British kind of rounds? Like I don't know what the what those would be called. The types of songs from like the whatever century, like medieval. I don't know. Yeah. Like where there's a specific structure of the song, like it's kind of told like a tale, you know, like an old British Scottish. Oh, tale. that's awesome. Anyway, I'll I have to look it up. I can't. I, her stuff just feels like it's from another era in a way. Like that song, the Taylor, very much. Okay. Um, and then she has this other song that just really touched me that I don't think is played very much. It's a very early song that she wrote of um, Old Fashioned Hat. It's Aww. called very much about like your person and kind of growing older and and um, reconnecting, I think, with your person, which feels relevant yeah. <laughs> for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely check that out. Awesome. But, that should make an offshoot podcast of just music recommendations. I would. So, you know, what's funny, as long as we've been doing this, I mean, it's been a few mm -hmm. months now, but we haven't really talked about music right. very much. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure why, because it's something Christy and I have had in common yeah. forever. Mm -hmm. And I have, I have things, a lot of things in common with everybody who has a love or a history with music. Mm -hmm. So. I'm kind of surprised it hasn't come up. Yeah, we've had people on but who really. Maybe it's because we were. We were focusing on I mean. writing I think we've so been much. Too focused. Yeah. We were too focused. Mm -hmm. We need to be unfocused. <laughs> we we need to lose we some focus do. a little bit. Here, let me fumble around with my mic and my. Uh, we my need to we need to be bit. more of a mess, more messy. Okay. <laughs> than right. normal. No problem. <laughs> Well, All I do right. well, like back when you, I forget when you, 
told me this, Chris, or maybe you wrote about this, how like with song stories, your idea too, was that you kind of like put on a piece of music and write to it. It's also Christie's mm-hmm. vision yeah. for her musical memoir piece. That's, I mean, we had literally the same yeah. idea, mm-hmm. put this piece of music on and then write something and let it shape when not you're necessarily, writing it. And, yeah, uh, not necessarily about the piece of music. Mm-hmm. Let it, well, that's let it inspire you. Let it bring you back yeah, and that's it, to your memory. There were there are music publications that write about like who recorded what with when and I was like yeah, no, that's that. never, I don't, no I don't care about that I've never been like a junkie about anything not in a bad way but like you know like where it's you, music trivia yeah 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 but it's funny because there I could probably I could put on like a hundred different songs and bring up memories but some of them would be interesting to others most of them not right but um. Yeah, I was definitely like, I have memories of like in high school being really angsty and just going to bed with my um like disc man on to that mm-hmm. Sarah McLaughlin like album with the like intense, <laughs> I will remember you, just like all the set. But I, I listened to that every single night to fall asleep, like for years. But see, that's something. It's not necessarily a song that makes you think of a memory. It's a song that mm-hmm. brings you back in time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and you just you just close your eyes and you you just write. You just it, it feel the weather. Like I could feel weather sometimes, right. like like atmosphere. When I there's another one, I think in middle school, that song, you know that song Sunny Came Home? Yes. Sean um Sean Colvin. Yes. I just remember, and this was being back, like, it was, like, not even the CD. It was, like, I had it recorded on some cassette or something. But that in middle school, I also, I can, like, place myself in my bed growing up with, like, the windows open in the summer. Yeah. And listen to that at night. Alternating between that and, did you ever, um, you know that? What was the pot, um, not podcast, the radio show about sex that was so famous for years? Yes. I feel like maybe I'm just going to venture to say I haven't done research on this, but I feel like 70 percent of people in my generation listen to that secretly at bed. (laughs) (laughs) Like I've talked to so many people who are like, oh, yeah, I used to sneak that in my bed on my headphones at night just to like discuss, you know, in like late middle school to be like, whoa, what is the world? Right. Dr. Drew, you could learn some things. He was great. He was great. My but, wife still listens to his podcast. Yeah, he's, well, talk about longevity, right? Mm-hmm. Although, I'm surprised he, like, hasn't run for office. I feel like that's, like, the kind of person that would, like, run yeah. for president. I've oh. read a couple of stories written by his daughter and what it, what her life was like growing up like, with him being the sex guy. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Hey, but... You gotta go. Not to cut us off. We're gonna run out of time. You gotta take your kid to the birthday party or whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just ruined your day. I'm gonna go. It's <laughs> indoor ice skating, which is actually kind of fun. Oh, that's kind of cool, anyway. But it just takes so many steps, you know? Like, there's just so yeah. many parts of it. Mm-hmm. Well, It'll enjoy. <laughs> Thank you, you so, so much for coming on. Yeah. Yes, we really had a nice nice time having you on. 
And I'm sorry for my raving voice. <laughs> and I hope you feel better, Thank Christy. Thank you. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Unfocused Writer. For show notes and extras, visit theunfocusedwriter.com. Production and post-production provided by The Tranquil Tavern. Until next time, stay focused.